Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, it's Election Day. We speak with the Secretary of State about what voters need to have when going to the polls. Then, a new report shows a tight race for governor is leaning Republican. Plus, researchers from Mississippi State University open a new aquatic health lab on the coast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Polls opened this morning at 7 for the 2023 general election in the state. Eight statewide offices are up for grabs along with regional commissioners and state lawmakers. Our Kobe Vance talked with Secretary of State Michael Watson about what folks need to know when casting their ballot. I think it's very important for folks to be prepared when they go vote. We've talked a lot about our My Election Day tool. So folks that haven't gone to the ballot box yet, I would encourage them to take a few minutes just to look, see who all is on the ballot. Make sure you've done your research on those candidates. And as you head to the polls, make sure you take your ID. Uh, There's a new technology there on our My Election Day tool now, making sure that everyone knows which precinct to go to vote. So I encourage folks to make sure that they are correct in their precinct. And again, I think it's important to let everybody know what's there at the precinct, casting their ballot. Just be aware of your surroundings. Uh, if you see something that looks a little bit odd, we hope that folks will reach out to us or your local circuit clerk's office there. Uh, just making sure that Mississippians are, again, uh, aware of what's going on around them, uh, casting their ballots and making sure nothing nefarious is happening around the precincts. What do you think voter turnout is going to be like this year? Are you expecting a lot of folks? Yeah, it's a good question. Those are kind of always hard to suggest. Uh, We've seen our absentee number increase uh, by about 4,000 from 2019, and we had about a 46, just north of a 46% turnout overall in 19 with just shy of 900,000 voters. So if you track it by absentee, we would hope that number would increase maybe 900,000 north of 900,000. But again, remember back at the uh, primary, we saw a really turned – uh, increase in absentee voting, uh, but the numbers on uh, primary day didn't turn out like we thought they would. So you never really can predict it correctly. Uh, I do think there's a lot of excitement out there uh, on election day, and I hope folks will get out to vote. And again, just honoring the men and women uh, who solved and gave it all. Uh, make sure that we are honoring them with our vo- voice and our vote. Uh, so I think it's important that folks get out and vote. On that note, do you think people might be expecting some long lines at certain times of the day? And I guess just to hit this other point, 
if you're in line at 7 o'clock and it, now the clock has rolled over, can you still vote? That's exactly right. If you're in line by 7 o'clock, what typically happens is the bailiff should come out uh, right on the nose at 7 o'clock and make sure that folks that are in line, uh, he or she will go get to the end of the line uh, for folks that are there by 7 o'clock, and they will be allowed to vote. Uh, on your other piece there about long lines, um, you know, a couple of things to talk about there. The counties are the ones that decide how many uh, machines are going to put in each precinct and, uh, you know, kind of mapping that out for the local level. So if there are lines, sometimes we saw uh, a couple of years ago, there were some real long lines in DeSoto. And one of the issues that came out was that we didn't send enough uh, machines out to the precincts. Again, that's a local level decision. So we've encouraged all of them just to make sure they're prepared for, for Election Day, uh, to make sure that folks can come out and don't have as long lines as so it could be. But again, sometimes you're going to see a little bit of a line, and we're excited about great turnout if that's what that's suggesting. So uh, again, it's so important to have your voice heard. I just encourage folks to be patient and uh, thank God for all of our poll workers that spend the time to come out and make sure that uh, we're allowing people to hear their, or have their voices heard. It's really important that they uh, are appreciated. So just tell them thank you once you go vote. I know you've spoken about this in the past, but how does Mississippi record its votes? You've mentioned a paper backup system. How does that work? Yeah, so uh, by 2024, all of our machines in every county will have paper verifiable trails. Uh, There are still a few machines that have the DRE uh, machines where it's a touch screen. Uh, So you've got the vast majority, though, by now have all of the uh, paper verifiable trails. Uh, So there are different types of machines. Even with that, uh, there's an ADA machine where it's a, what's called a ballot marking device. And so you will touch the screen with that one if you're ADA and, and needs some help with that. You can touch the screen. It will print your ballot out. And I just encourage everyone, check your ballot. Once that machine prints your ballot out, check your ballot to make sure it is exactly as you cast it. And then they will send that into the scanner, uh, just like every other paper ballot there is. So uh, for those vast majority of Mississippians around the state, they will be filling out paper ballots on Election Day and uh, we'll be feeding those into the scanner uh, to make sure that the voice is heard. How does Mississippi count those votes? Is there any system that y'all have for making sure that things are accurate and, uh, I guess, a way that y'all can go back and double-check if needed? So, number one, it's done at the local level. Uh, You've got your folks, once you go vote at your precinct at the end of the night, once that 7 o'clock number hits and everybody has completed their ballots and and voted, uh, they will then pull all of the data from each machine at the precinct, uh, and they will compile that data at election central there at the county level and then all the precincts are basically put together at the county level and then they send that data to us through the statewide election management system and i want to remind folks really quickly here you go through uh, the number of signatures uh, that the voters signed in once they cast their vote you go through the number of absentee ballots that were requested uh, and accepted uh, it's a it's a very um distinct mechanism here to make sure that we're getting the numbers correctly. So, and at the end of the day, once those numbers are up at the state level, you can always go back and look at the paper ballots, look at the absentee ballots to make sure that the numbers match, uh, you know, look at the signature law, make sure the numbers of the signatures uh, that we saw match the number of ballots that came out of that precinct. So a lot of different ways to check that, but Mississippians uh, should feel safe and secure in their elections here. Uh, and especially today as you go out and vote. Now, Y'all's office sent out a press release Monday morning uh, talking about absentee ballots that were sent out and received thus far. Again, this was as of Monday morning. Y'all had sent out more than 61,000 absentee ballots, and y'all had received back 56,000 at that point. Is this specifically mail-in, or does this include people who have been voted absentee in person? 
Yeah, so, so absentee, again, it's just requested absentee. So some folks can uh, come in, as you know, at the circuit clerk's office. But I would remind people really quickly here, if you still have a mail-in absentee ballot, it has to be postmarked on Election Day and received within five days thereafter to count. So just a quick reminder that folks maybe you know uh, still have those in their possession. They need to get those in uh, by today. They have to be postmarked by today and received within five days. And y'all have a ballot tracker as well to make sure that those get where they need to go? We do. I'm really excited about that. Again, that's on our My Election Day tool on our website there. Y'all got that in us, and you can find it on our, on our Secretary of State website as well. Uh, but that's where, uh, as, as I mentioned to you before, the statewide election management system. So when someone comes in and requests an absentee ballot or they send in a request by mail, that is noted in SIMS, uh, again, in the computer database there. Uh, once that ballot goes out, uh, it comes back in. Once it's received, again, SIMS is updated to let the voter know that the ballot has been received. Uh, and then at the end of the counting process there, again, is updated in SIMS uh, so the individual can see whether or not it's accepted or rejected. And I think it's just really important to point out to Mississippians the, the measures we've taken to make sure that they can trust the process, uh, be it from uh, watching your ballot through the ballot tracker there, uh, be it from, again, the, the paper verifiable trail, uh, so many things that we've done with our federal maintenance. Uh, you know, you name it, we really try to attack each and every uh, weakness area uh, that, that folks could imagine in elections. Uh, and Mississippi's got a great process, but we can't rest on that. We've always got to make sure that we're doing things correctly here. So I'm just really proud of the legislature uh, for helping us really just strengthen our, our the integrity of the process here in Mississippi. So Mississippians really should feel confident and comfortable today that the vote that they cast is going to be the vote that's counted. We've been talking with Secretary of State Michael Watson. Thank you so much for joining us today. You got it. Have a great day. Next, projections for today's gubernatorial election are showing a close race. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Political analysts are continuing their predictions about who may come out on top in the race for governor. Among the pollings and studies done, the margins between Governor Tate Reeves and Brandon Presley seem to be shrinking. Jessica Taylor is the Senate and Governor's Editor for the Cook Political Report. She tells our Will Stribling they have changed the projections for the governor's race from likely Republican to leaning Republican. This is a race I've been watching since the beginning of the year, and it's a very unlikely one to become competitive. But when I had to look at all of the factors, it was very hard to deny that it is clearly a competitive race. I think we were very cautious on our rating, but in the final stretch, you know, when I look at our difference between likely Republican and lean Republican, it still means that Governor Reeves is favored, but it has clearly become a much closer and competitive contest when you look at it in polling, when you look at it in money being spent, fundraising, just watching the ads on TV. 
and then I think culminating in what was a very contentious debate uh, this past week. And then again, I was, uh, I think that when I talked with Republicans there in the state, there was a clear sense of worry about, I think, turnout, about some of the vulnerabilities that the governor has, and about the strong campaign that Brandon Presley has been able to run. Now, I think it's still a tough task in a state as red as Mississippi, and unseating any any incumbent governor is very hard, actually. But I think it has the potential to be a, a closer-than-expected race. So that's why we ended up changing our rating. The concerns from those Republicans you spoke to, is it really just like the likability factor or is it, you know, concerns about the the issues or the welfare scandal? Like what was giving them pause? The two things I've heard most from Republicans, I think it's the likability factor. I expected actually there to be a more competitive primary that Reeves was going to get a primary challenge. That seemed to be at least the beginning of the year, sort of the scuttlebutt. And he didn't. But when you still lose a quarter of the vote against two unknown challengers, you know, you win. And yes, the ultimate goal is to win. And 75% is nothing to sneeze about. Absolutely. But when your other opponents don't even spend anything and you still sort of shed that vote, that is a little bit of a warning sign. And, you know, when you look at the polls where his approvals are and his favorability is, and then again, just talking with Republicans there in the state and what they were hearing from people on the ground. And then the other thing that I think has almost been more effective is the Medicaid expansion. I mean, it was the first question on the debate, and that's another thing that I've heard really among Republicans is they worry that that has just been a very, very effective message that, you know, Presley has made this about fiscal issues, especially with the grocery tax, with cutting the car tax fee. And then I think that Medicaid expansion has a has particular resonance in a state like Mississippi. What sticks out to you that's different about the Mississippi gubernatorial race compared to the the two other southern states that are that are having having governor governor's elections this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, Louisiana is already over <laughs> a little bit more earlier than we expected, and um, you know that was a state where it's an open seat, so I look at it kind of differently. Uh, I think they're all you know, unique in different ways. To me, it almost reminds me a little bit more of, I think Presley is running a sort of John Bell Edwards type campaign. Now, Edwards was able to win an open seat when the race first opened up in 2015. So again, different scenarios, but Presley seems to be building the type of coalition that Edwards was able to do. And that's also dependent upon turning out black voters, which I think is hard anytime, but especially hard in an off-year election. And that's something that I still have a lot of skepticism about. Um, but I also think that Medicaid expansion message worked and that Presley was sort of able to neutralize questions about, you know, social issues or things that that really hasn't turned on this. That it, you know, he's the type, he's a Democrat who's conservative on social issues. So, the fact that this has focused more on economic issues, I think, gives him an opening. If Presley succeeds and it's this, this major upset in Mississippi, right, there's going to be a lot of prognosticating about what this means for Democrats in the South. You know, overall, there's going to be this big national conversation. But it's, do you think that that would be misguided 
to try to extrapolate this? There's a concern, I think, anytime you're working on turning out black voters, if they can be successful in that in an off year, focusing on fiscal issues. And but again, you know, he's really made this more about the state than about the national party. And I think that's harder to do when you have either a Trump or a Biden atop the ticket. Off year elections kind of happen in a little, not a full vacuum because our politics are so nationalized and partisan at this point, but they aren't as impacted by the top of the ticket. And we've seen those attempts from Reeves to, to nationalize this race, mm-hmm. you know, call it, you know, talking about, yeah. you know, all these liberal donors donating to Brandon Presley or in Trump's endorsement video of Reeves, he called mm-hmm. him Joe Biden's candidate, even though Joe Biden, of course, hasn't yeah. made any sort of endorsement in this race. But that. And you have Daniel Cameron in Kentucky using the same arguments. But again, it's different when you're going up against, you know, a different type of when you're going up against an incumbent. But I think where the Trump factor and highlighting those things helps Reeves is that I think this could be about turning out your base and turning out Republican voters. So if he is able to do that, just the simple political dynamics of Mississippi inherently favor Republicans, and that's just incredibly hard for Democrats to overcome. Jessica Taylor is the Senate and Governor's Editor for the Cook Political Report. Folks who vote by affidavit today have three days to go to their county circuit clerk office to certify that ballot. Otherwise, it won't count. Coming up, researchers from Mississippi State University open a new aquatic health lab on the coast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. MPB's future depends on listener support in all shapes and sizes. One of the many ways that you can make a long-term impact is by donating land or business properties you no longer need. More information about the advantages of donating real estate to secure Mississippi Public Broadcasting's future can be found at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi State University has launched a new Gulf Coast Aquatic Health Laboratory. It's designed to help improve the health of sea life in the Gulf of Mexico. The new lab is funded by a $1.8 million grant from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also called NOAA. Stephen Rickley is Associate Director at MSU's Global Center for Aquatic Health and Food Security. He says the wildlife in the Gulf and the Mississippi Sound are essential for the state's seafood industry, particularly the health ecosystem. The Gulf of Mexico has a very robust uh, fishery and is a vital contributor to U.S. seafood production. And so um, there's a lot of fish that are swimming in the Gulf of Mexico and the Mississippi Sound, and so we can uh, perform research and provide diagnostics to support the management of those stocks of fish. And, and this work also then um, will complement the Gulf of Mexico designation that NOAA recently 
put for they designated uh, the Gulf of Mexico as an aquaculture area opportunity area due to the ocean conditions, access to markets, uh, established infrastructure on shore, and, and other positive factors. And so NOAA has identified Gulf of Mexico as a potential area of growth for aquaculture. And Mississippi State University, um, we have been providing diagnostic and health support to the catfish industry for many, many, many years. And so we can take that expertise and lend that to uh, the aquaculture industry, marine aquaculture industry down in the Gulf of Mexico. And this Gulf Coast Aquatic Health Lab also complements the work that the uh, MSU Global Center for Aquatic Health and Food Security and College of Veterinary Medicine are already doing with our Gulf Coast Aquatic Health Program focused on work with marine mammals and sea turtles in the Mississippi Sound. Will you be hands-on with different animals, or is this strictly research? It's a mix of, of research, diagnostic, and also capacity building in the state of Mississippi and being able to perform uh, testing on animals and animal products um, that normally would go outside of the state of Mississippi. So we'll be working directly with animals. Like I said, we already have an existing program with uh, marine mammals and sea turtles, so this would complement that, but also then uh, uh, further strengthen our, our position there to be able to work with Mississippi Department of Marine Resources, Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality, both agencies we are already working with in, in other avenues, but working with them to help manage uh, the fish and, and shellfish stocks in the state of Mississippi. So when you talk about uh, growing this business, what animals can you give us the animals? I know you mentioned catfish, you mentioned shrimp. What other types of aquatic animals would be economically advantageous for the country? Yeah, so the Gulf stocks currently right now account for approximately 20% of the total annual domestic fisheries landings in the United States. And so that commercial fishery is already a very, very important industry here in the state of Mississippi to the country, but certainly to the state and, and, to, the, and to the economy um, on the coast. And so uh, those commercial landings are, you know, already really important. In addition, the recreational fisheries is very, very important to Mississippi. That's generating an economic impact of more than $700 million in the state. And so um, when NOAA is looking at identifying these aquaculture areas of opportunity, looking at different types of uh, perhaps finfish uh, species that could be raised uh, in the Gulf of Mexico as well as shellfish. So you know, obviously there's shrimp industry down there, there's an oyster industry, but you can also look at different types of fish. And and there's a lot of research that's being done right now to identify the specific types of fish that could uh, thrive in that environment. Uh, but when you look at what we already catch, and um, perhaps maybe instead of going and catching the wild fish, uh, there's opportunity to, to grow those fish uh, in the Gulf of Mexico to take pressure off of those fisheries um, that that uh, there's more and more pressure being put on those fisheries as as the, the population continues to grow and the demand for healthy and nutritious seafood products continues to grow. So part of the goal is to make sure that these aquatic animals are safe to consume. Correct, yeah. Most of, most of what we're going to focus on with the uh, Gulf Coast Aquatic Health Lab is focused on the health of 
the animal and health of the environment. And certainly a healthy animal is a prerequisite for having a safe animal for consumption. You mentioned threats. The Exxon oil spill in 2012, is that still having an effect? Tragedy that occurred, are those still having an effect on the Gulf Coast? Certainly the environment is uh, still recovering. Uh, We've uh, invested a lot of time and effort to better understand the environment in the Gulf of Mexico, better understand the environment in the Mississippi Sound. And part of the work that we are doing with marine mammals and, and, and sea turtles, the marine mammals are, are at the top of the food chain in the Mississippi Sound and Gulf of Mexico. And that's one of the reasons why that we focus a lot of our research on them, because they're kind of like the canary in the coal mine. We can we understand the health and conditions that they're living in. That helps us better get a gauge of the health of the Mississippi Sound and the Gulf of Mexico. So challenges from the oil spills uh, in the past continue to be uh, studied and, and understood and the impact of it to, to be mitigated, but also to better be prepared in case uh, a disaster happens again in the future, whether it be a man-made or a natural disaster. That's what we're working to try and increase the resiliency of the Mississippi Sound and the Gulf of Mexico. Stephen Reichley is Associate Director at MSU's Global Center for Aquatic Health and Food Security. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.